Hello and welcome to another episode of Can't Stop the Growth. I'm your host, Chad Peterman, and today I have a very special guest, a fellow Hoosier, which is always nice to get uh, one of those on the podcast, but excited to hear his story. Um, a little bit different than some of our previous guests that worked directly in the trades. Um, this guy has worked for a number of years. Uh, I guess, I don't know what how he characterizes it, but kind of alongside the trades in his business, really, uh, you know, knee deep in um in the happenings of uh, of the trades and, and what's going on. Um, and it just made a huge impact on what it is uh, that the trades have become and, and what they continue to develop in. All while at the same time, building a really, really big company, I think by standards in, in his space. Um, and a lot of that has to do with some of the leadership stuff that, that I've seen from him and, and know that he takes um, extremely personal um, when it comes to running his company. Uh, without further ado, we'd like to welcome Chris Yano, the CEO of Rhino Strategic Solutions to the podcast. Welcome, Chris. Yeah, thanks for having me on, my man. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as many of you may know uh, that listen, uh, Chris runs a, a podcast that I was on probably a few months ago-ish to the point, uh, which he just does a fantastic job. I can't wait we're recording this on a Monday. I'm excited to wake up tomorrow morning and see uh, see what episode is on. So uh, you took my place in one of them. Yeah, I know that was just a couple <laughs> of weeks ago. So that that was a lot of fun. So Chris, why don't you uh, give the audience a little bit of your background as it relates to the trades and and kind of how you came up and, and and what you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. Again, thanks for having me on here, man. I appreciate it. So I do kind of look at it as I've been in the trades as well. This will be 15 years of working specifically with home services companies, you know, more specifically, air you know, HVAC plumbing and electrical have kind of gotten heavier into, but mostly a lot of HVAC because um, I, I I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm a, a digital marketing company. I didn't mean to get into home services. It just kind of like had happened. And ironically, um, you know, I started right there in Indianapolis, Indiana, and a competitor of yours is one that got me into the space. Um, and it was, you know, Carrier Corporation's headquarters is right there in Indianapolis, Indiana. And there was an opportunity uh, to work with them as a preferred digital marketing vendor. And I, of course, at this point in time, I think I had like three employees, including my wife and myself. And they're like, can you take on all these you know, dealers? And I was like, oh, of course I can take on all these dealers. Um, and it just started to evolve from there. But I realized uh, just how hard it is and how competitive the industry is, uh, the home services industry. And I knew that from a bandwidth perspective, I couldn't take the time to focus on any other industry because it demanded so much attention that I would just be the best digital marketing company for HVAC. You know, that was my whole mindset in the beginning. And if I did it every day, uh, and studied the numbers every day, I should be the best if all I have to do is now just chase, chase the technology. And fast forward, you know, 14, 15 years later, and I'm doing the exact same thing. It's just now there's 100 plus, you know, employees, and we're all still focused on the on the trade. So yeah, I mean, I didn't mean to get into the business into, into the home service space. But here I am all these years later, and I love it, man, working with the working with the folks in the trades has been like has been super rewarding for me. Um, it's been great, a great business. It's interesting whenever we have to um, hire people because we're like, you're going to learn more than you ever want to know about heating and air conditioning and plumbing and electrical, and you're going to do it every single day. So is that what you want? But the culture is going to be great. So 
Yep. Here we are. Fast forward 14 years later, you know, we're, um, we've developed into a pretty decent sized company, which I'm super proud of. Like, you know, Chad, I was just gone in Peru for two weeks with my family and the business runs itself. Like it's pretty, it was pretty cool. I, I almost felt like, uh, I was like, I just needed to be doing something and, uh, but I didn't need to. And that's having good leadership, which is going to be a great topic today is that's what, what helped this business run. So here I sit today, man. And I feel like I'm still just getting started. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think there's a lot to, to unpack uh, there. One of the things I want to kind of touch on, and I don't know that we've ever talked, we've talked a lot, but I don't know that we've ever talked about this. So one of the things from a leadership perspective, I think that um, is often talked about is kind of that, uh, that shiny object syndrome of, you know, wanting to chase this idea and that idea. And for a guy like yourself to not only get in the digital marketing space, but then just extreme specialization in the trades. Um, how do you think that that has helped with your success? And, and, and I guess maybe from your perspective, where do you see maybe leaders go astray as it relates to that kind of shiny object syndrome? Yeah, I mean, that does happen to me. Um, and it's because I'm also ADHD. Um, so it happens to me like, and that's like legit. Um, and not that I take anything for it, but I am that guy that's like, oh, maybe we should try it this i've had to learn to to really dial that in um to dial it back but um the i think we're we're in the beginning people were were kind of making fun of me um for only focusing on hvac and really it was even specific to carrier and bryant at that point um to that that uh those two specific brands and saying why would you pigeonhole yourself into a business model where you're only focused on one industry that's ridiculous um, and I looked at it as like, I'm just getting started in the state of Indiana and going into Kentucky. And it's just a couple of me, like my, my vision then is obviously clearly different than it is today. I looked at it as like, yeah, but if I do the same thing every single day, I will be the best. I'll be the go-to digital marketing company for HVAC because I'm focused on it every single day. And, and that's how we've maintained a good reputation all these years is I haven't dipped outside of it. I, I, will, I, will, I can't say that. I have dabbled a little bit outside of HVAC, plumbing, and electrical, but um, the processes are the exact same. So thankfully, by focusing on this niche, we've been able to create some ironclad processes that make us run efficiently, but also continue to get smarter. So I stay the course, man. Um, I'm allowed two shiny objects a year, <laughs> and I... I definitely push that envelope because I believe that that's what's expected of me as a leader in the digital space for the, on behalf of the trades. I believe that's what's expected of me. And so I have to find what technology is out there. Like when voice search came out, I was all over voice search trying to make sure my contractors came up if you did a voice search, because, you know, if you type in, you know, uh, HVAC or air conditioning contractors near me versus saying it to your phone it delivers two different results. I needed to figure that out on behalf of my customers because client fulfillment is ultimately number one for me. But so I think that everybody needs me chasing the shiny objects. It's just, yeah, I got to keep it to a, a minimum because I mean, there's a good chance I'll, I see another one, I'm going to go after it. And the problem is, is that, um, and you'll kind of learn some of this on my story is once I uh, commit to something, I hyper-focus on it. And, and that's part of the where the ADHD is helpful is that you laser focus on one thing. I can't spread myself too thin on multiple things, but if I go all in, I'll go down the rabbit hole until I figure it out. Yeah. And I think that uh, I asked that question uh, simply because I, I kind of learned that uh, trial by fire this year uh, as we got uh, more heavily involved in, in acquisitions 
um, and one where I was in, it wasn't necessarily a shiny object, but it was something new for the team. And I was going at it guns a blazing. Well, then you kind of forget about your team on the back end of, Hey, they actually have to like make this thing come true. Uh, and so one of the things that I learned specifically, and, and you may be able to share some thoughts on this was that while having the idea and as the leader, you're supposed to chase those shiny objects to a certain degree. That's your job is to create the vision and to make the company grow and run, but utilizing your team to get their buy-in, uh, I think is extremely critical when it comes to one of these ideas. What would you say as far as how you guys kind of operate? Um, I know your, uh, your, your wife is the, uh, is the CFO there. Uh, so it kind of have those checks and balances, but, but how do you guys, how do you guys function on your team as it relates to, Hey, I'm going to go chase this idea, but yet I've got to have the back end be able to fulfill this idea or else it's, it's probably never going to work. Yeah, it's a great question because um, it's changed over the years. And part of it is when I chase a shiny object, because I have um, the, I learned so much about it, you know, we, we don't, we don't sell like hard sell at the company. Like I'm not reaching out and calling people to try and get them to use Rhino. Um, but we sell by education. And, and, and part of my job is when I find those new things, I need to chase them down and educate myself. What I, what, I, what I was really poor at in the beginning was I would go out, do it, sell it, you know, because we have contractors that we use like, you know, you, Chad, that um, are customers of ours that are kind of entered into our pilot program. And they'll try the new things that we're kind of testing to see if we want to go to market with it. But what I wasn't doing in the beginning was thinking about fulfillment. And, and this is where my wife and I are exact opposite is um, she is very like she's, she's really the, a CFO and a COO. She's an incredible leader, but she is very much by the book, by the processes. And so she would say, hey, that's great, Chris, but you didn't think about um, this process and this process and who's going to manage that. And then what about the billing piece of it? And then we got to create that piece into our um, CRM. Like you're not thinking about the things on the back end that, yeah, great job, you sold it, but now what? <laughs> and so whereas today um, when we onboard new products, part of the conversation is I say, hey, you know what? I've chased this thing down enough to, and I believe in it and we're going to start testing it but before I roll it out. What does this look like on the operation side of things? And so now we have a process in place for me to bring those new things. And it kind of goes through a, 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 a checklist, if you will, on if it's something we're going to pursue or not. So, yeah, it's changed. Like you have got to think about uh, what does it look like for your team to fulfill on that? And does it still make sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, my, uh, my uh, lovely team, they built me a checklist and said, hey, dummy, we need all the answers to all these questions or else you can't go through with this. I said, all right, point yeah. So they created, uh, uh, they said, we're going to create you a deal team. And that team is going to ask all the questions that you're not willing to ask because you're too busy kind of selling the deal and making sure that the, you know, whoever's doing it is, is comfortable and stuff like that. We're going to ask all those questions that we need to know the answers to. One of the things that you said there, you talked a little bit about your wife and I work with my brother uh, and, and working with, you know, obviously someone that you're married to or someone that I've known since, you know, I was, he was born presents its, its own set of, of challenges. Uh, what, what would be some advice you may give to listeners, either working with a partner or a family member or a spouse what would you kind of say has been kind of maybe your guys's, you know, kind of secret or, hey, we figured this out and this is really what we operate by in order to make things work? 
Yeah, man, that's a good question because um, that's a super frequently asked question I get, especially from, you know, on the, on the, to the point home services podcast, we talked about this specifically. We have married couples in here and we have a lot of friends that are in this business. I was told early on, somebody give me some advice on don't hire your friends um, or don't hire family. And I have both of those in the company and they are very successful, but this is the key ingredient to making it successful. And that is business is business. And as long as you, they, whomever you're hiring understands very black and white on what's your role, you don't get any, you know, preferential treatment. You're treated, you know, just like every, everybody else. Um, but the rules are black and white. This is your job. These are the things that you have. These are your benefits. These are your, you know, I don't want to say use the word rules because it's not really rules, but like these are the tasks you have to get done and you've got KPIs. You either hit them or you don't. And so um, it's just very black and white. And with Anna Anna and myself, we have to leave business uh, at, at the office. And it's very hard sometimes because like the perfect example is this morning, you know, uh, we sit outside in the morning. It's kind of our time to just like be together. Uh, Cause I have a normal, like a normal routine in the morning. I think you and I kind of talked about that a little bit, Chad, but um, it's hard for me not to talk about business because I love it. It's like, it's to me, it's not work. It's like what I, it's what I love to do. And she's like, don't talk to me about business until we get to the office. But it's important to kind of set those ground rules on keeping business and personal very separate. Cause as soon as that line gets crossed, you've set a precedence and, and, and it changes the way your relationship goes. So We've, I've had to fire, you know, an employee who's a good friend of mine and that sucks, but it was very specific on these are the KPIs. You're no different than anybody else who has to manage these same KPIs. And like, as long as you do that and it's very clear cut, it works really well. There's actually, think about this. If you bring on a, my my mother retired from this company, which was pretty cool. She worked for us for um, nine years. And even my own mom, I didn't give any like slack to because I couldn't set that I couldn't let others know that it would be okay to let my own mother slip but it not be for them that was a that would have been poor leadership on my part so everybody follows you know the rules that we have in place but you know what we also take really good care of everyone you know and and we have this really good policy on like if something's up come and talk to us and and that's what's been super successful for us but again just keep it very black and white business is business and uh and and, and if you slip up you own it take accountability and you either make, you know, move on or make a change. Yeah. I, I think you bring up a great point there. And, and something that we have, have been working on in our business is the uh, importance of a KPI. Tell me a little bit more, maybe, I guess, maybe contrast, were there to, was there a time maybe early on in the business when you didn't have KPIs and what kind of frustration may have that have caused you versus now when you have KPIs in um, uh, in place, and you're allowed to, you know, you're allowed to say business is business and personal is personal because there's actually like a scorecard of, of sorts. Yeah, yeah, it's actually, um, I mean, it's weird to think that we used to not have KPIs, honestly, because I, I mean, the, it, you have to have it really to grow your to 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 grow with metrics is important because then you can kind of self evaluate where am I really at based on what my job is and what I'm producing. And then your pay is, ba- you know, has is impacted by those things as well. Because my job is, to, or even our leadership team is, to create more leaders within the company. Well, how do we do that? We have to see how they're doing, measurably. Um, but in the beginning, we didn't, man. Like our KPI was, hey, I need to keep selling stuff because um, we need to keep growing this business. And 
and the only, really the only metrics that we looked at was our retention rate, which is still one of our, our biggest metrics that we look at because that tells the whole story on how we're doing in client fulfillment. Um, and not just retention rate of, uh, of our customers, but also in retention rate of our staff. Um, those are the two most important things to me. Um, and I look at them as equal. My staff is equally as important as my customers. Um, but you got to have measurables in place, I think, to make, you know, to help them do their job better. So like a good example would be um, some things are easier, uh, like a web designer. You know, we have, I think we have somewhere around, I don't know, I saw two new employees on our team meeting today. I haven't met yet um, that were hired while I was gone. But I think we're somewhere in like the 110 or 12 range of employees. But if a web designer comes in, it's pretty straightforward. If they got to design a site, they've got X amount of time to do it. You know, so we have a project manager in place that oversees all deliverables and timelines. And timelines are easier KPIs to put in place. But you know, then you have to learn on well, what is a reasonable timeline? Like, are we giving them a reasonable metric to to measure themselves to? And those are things that we've learned over the years on like how much time should something take? How much time should it take to build out a pay-per-click campaign for AC, you know, for AC repair in Bloomington? Um, it should take three hours. Okay, perfect. So it's a three-hour time frame, and they use time, you know, time tracking on their on their computers. So we can track pretty much everything. So there's a lot of little like for us, it's a little bit easier because there's a lot of metrics that you can put in place. You know, like doing an install. How long if if there's no issues? How long is an install supposed to take? When should they be in and out of there by? Um, like all, you figure out which KPIs to use once you've been in the business long enough to hold them accountable, but also to help them grow. And it's just something that we learned as we went. And it, it is crazy because like I said in the beginning, we didn't use KPIs and it blows my mind today to think like we had such great success and growth without those KPIs, but we we're also burning the candle at both ends, you know, and where we could have managed this thing and grow, grown it a little bit more efficiently had we applied them early on because we we're just kind of like mocked him with our hair on fire. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I definitely think that that's probably a, an emotion or a, a, a feeling that uh, a number of uh, business owners can definitely feel uh, when it's just, you know, go, 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 go. Then once you sit down and kind of look through things, you know, is there a more efficient way to get there? Um, yeah. Yeah. Sales isn't always the answer. Yeah. <laughs> Not always the answer. Yeah, yeah, there, there's the law of diminishing returns uh, <laughs> at some point in time. One of the things you've said there that I, I, I agree with wholeheartedly is that, you know, your employee retention is just as important as your customer retention. And I know a little bit more about your story than, than maybe most. And the reason I asked this question, I'll preface it with this, is the reason I asked this is because I get asked a lot of like, oh, how'd you build that culture? How how does that, in in to me, there's a lot that goes into it and, and culture is always evolving. What would you say are some of the things you've learned about while developing your culture there at, uh, at Rhino? Man, you know, I love talking about culture. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have a, we have such an awesome culture here and, and really it's been more about maintaining it at, uh, through growth. And, um, but here's, here's what I look at. Um, and I'll share quite a bit in this. So we'll take, if we can take some time in this, in this little space here, Chad. Yeah. Um, the first thing we do when we, when we interview somebody is we look at them as a human being first. How are they personally? And then we look at professionally because I will take an A plus human being that's a C professional and make them an A professional. Um, I love good people who genuinely care. Our core values are, I mean, everywhere in this, like everybody knows every core value that we've got. We talk about it daily. We've got them on our wrists, like, and we, we empower them to make decisions based off of uh, our core values. But 
what we've done here is um, I'm really proud of the culture that we've built. I'll tell you what, the hardest, I think the hardest thing I've had to overcome in my professional career to date was during the pandemic and maintaining culture during a pandemic because we're very much together. And even though we have uh, some employees out of state, they are flying in at least once a quarter. Like they're, they're all here right now in the office because um, we do another thing is, you know, we do, I know you know this chat, but we do service days. Every one Friday, every single month, we shut the office down and we go and serve somewhere in the community. And so what that looks like for us is, you know, most of our employees work four nines and a four. So they only work half days on Friday anyhow. Um, so we'll go out into the community and whether it be like feed my starving children or like a habitat for humanity, or we'll go do a home build or something like that. But we go and serve others together. And, and we call it a service day. And we've done it literally since the beginning of the company. That's the one thing I will never, ever let go of that we will do. Now, it's changed as we've grown because some people can't take on, you know, a business of our size. We have to split the, the teams up. But it creates unity in your team. And you start to, when you go together and work with them and you're not doing anything for yourself, you're not doing anything for the business, but you're doing something together to give back is a pretty powerful tool to use. Um, so that's one thing that we've done that's been really helpful we give everybody's birthdays, you know, we give everybody their birthday off. That's an important day for us. Um, it's an important day for them. So we give them the birthdays off. <clears throat> um, we also are all about experiences. So I learned this thing a few years ago called a Masogi. And a Masogi is essentially what's the one thing you did that year that's completely unforgettable that maybe you wouldn't have done, but we kind of push them into doing it. Like, what is it going to be? So a perfect example is one of our employees went and took bull riding lessons and then he didn't, then he went and did a rodeo. And we paid for it. Um, and we gave him that experience that he'll have for the rest of his life. And so another person went and did skydiving, you know, and we paid for it. Somebody went to, uh, back, like, went on a week-long backpacking trip in the mountains up in the Pacific Northwest. All we asked him to do is document the process and then share it with everyone. But little things like that, you know, and then um, – we make sure like benefits are key. Like everybody has benefits. So it's gotta be more than just pay and benefits to make somebody stay. Like obviously they want to get paid well, but do they genuinely feel like they have a voice and that they, then that if they can come in and talk to us, like me, the CEO, I still don't look as my, at myself, like the CEO of a business. I don't treat anybody like I'm the CEO of a business. I treat them like their family to me. And so, but we have this open door policy that we legit, um, that we legit, like when we do it, somebody comes in, we talk to them often but we have this great culture of genuinely caring about one another and everybody knows it. So they know they can come to us with anything. And I think another big piece of this is giving them, um, giving them the okay to fail, like, and letting them know. And we talk about our own failures. I absolutely share when I make a decision and it's the wrong decision and I share it publicly so they can see that I, I let myself be vulnerable. And it's a place uh, where they know that, you know, they're in, a, they're in a safe place to go and work, even if they fail, as long as, you know, they've made the decision using the core values, you know, and they fail. But it's, those are things that we've been proud of. We give them an education um, budget to go, like, cause we need them to be better and we'll pay for their education, you know, to go and learn, get better at your job. Um, and that way they don't have the excuse if I can't afford it, we'll just pay for it for you and take care of those things. But it's just like really taking care of them because you do a lot of life together when you're in, like in when you're in business together and you and we're as a growing of a company as we're in, we do a lot of life together. And people don't, you know, live, you know, to work. They work to live. So, but you're going to be working a lot. So let's make sure everybody feels like they're really taken care of. So culture here has been off the charts. But if you look on like our YouTube videos, we have fun. Did you see our Christmas party last year, Chad? Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, we have a good time. We celebrate uh, we, our wins together. You know, we've had a couple of, uh, we had, you know, we lost an employee. She had passed away from a brain tumor. And so, and we've had another uh, employee who's went through cancer treatment. We took care of them the whole time. So we're also showing, you know, like not just saying it, we're showing everybody like you genuinely care about you. Like we want to take care of everybody. And that comes across because you can only fake it for so long if you don't genuinely care about everyone. It's got to be real. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the one thing that I would point out in your uh, kind of depiction of, of what makes up your culture is like, yeah, you guys take your birthdays off and you do some fun stuff. Um, and that's not to diminish what you do. But, you know, I didn't hear you say, you know, nap pods and all <laughs> of this other wacky stuff that I feel like sometimes gets associated with culture and, and what it's about. And well, they can go here and play ping pong and, you know, this, that and the other. And, and those things are pieces. But I think the one thing that you said that is the main thing is we just care about our people. And to me, that is the most genuine thing you can do. And that comes by that comes through a number of different ways. Um, but too many people I feel like they want their culture to be, well, we'll just put this up in the break room and everything should be, should be good. Uh, people can see right through that. And, and it, it doesn't, um, it doesn't bode well for, for the longevity of the, uh, of the company. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to touch on, uh, because I think you, you got into it early in, in, in what you were saying there, but you were talking about, you know, I'll take a, uh, I'll take an A plus human being, uh, over an A-plus professional all the time. Tell me a little bit about how you guys select people because I think this is the key piece that people miss and often get frustrated down the road as you know, six months in of, why does this person just not get what we're trying to do? And it's like, well, how did, how many, you know, what did the interview process look like? Well, you know, it's 30 minutes. I thought he was good. He had a great resume and we can't figure out why it didn't work. So tell me a little bit about kind of your selection process and, and how you guys go about that. Yeah, it's, it's, um, if the interview process is 30 minutes, that's because I knew that that person wasn't a fit. It's got to be longer. It's a little bit more in depth and we do things a little bit unique here and I'm, and I'm great. I've only had, I don't do any interviews at all, unless it's uh, for a leadership, uh, one of our upper leadership roles. Um, but the volume of applicants we get is insane. Like it is insane. And so um, you really have to kind of weed through and there's some specific things that we look for as we can tell somebody, like you can see if somebody's been a job hopper, like some basic things. But once we get them in here and we have conversations with them, before I ever ask a single question about their professional, uh, like their whatever they've done professionally, I have a set list of questions that I always ask personally because I want to know who they are as a human being. And, you know, in an interview, you kind of have to be able to, to uh, expect that, you know, they're really trying to impress you. So they might overstate some things that they do, but there's some certain questions that you can ask just about what's their motivation. One thing I love, you know, what, like what motivates you, um, you know, or I always uh, share with them the good and the bad of the business um, for that particular role. So that way there's no surprises three months in like, Oh, I didn't realize I was going to have to do this or, hey, like, hey, this process is, you know, we've had, we struggled with some processes with this new, we always share with them. So it's like transparency is another one of our core values and we share with them very transparent. And we also tell them for a, you know, 14 year old company, we function very much like a startup still. Um, it's just a lot more processes in place and measurables in place. But I love to be able to figure out, do they have, you know, family? Are they married? Like, 
what is it, you know, they're working to do what? Like, what's the end goal? If somebody wants to go and launch their own business in five years and they can, t- and they tell me that most don't, if they want to do a side hustle thing, I'm okay with it. As long as it doesn't interfere with business, it's more of um, what is like, what is it that gets you up? What motivates you? What do you want to do? Like, and then um, I would say, if I called your last boss, what would your last boss say about you? You know, and that's usually like, I love watching people's body language. <laughs> and when you ask that question, you can usually tell like from that question on, well, uh, ew, like, ooh, maybe, maybe don't call my last boss. Um, or my boss would say this about me and my boss. And we love to ask who's, your, you know, do you have a mentor? Um, I love asking that question. I got like four mentors and all for different phases of my life. But we very much ask questions without any, you know, any asking any professional questions, because typically we've already figured out based on their resume on do they based on what they put in there, do they fit professionally? So we're already assuming that if they're in the building and we're interviewing them. And then what we also do is uh, you know, when we when we share with them what our vision is for the company, we feel like, where do you, do you feel like you want to be a part of that vision? So I think that's important in the interview process to let them know where we're going and where we're at and how they're, how they play a part in it. But we preach culture, you know, and say, and cause you can kind of tell from somebody's characteristics in the interview, if they're going to fit or not. And just by asking personal questions. And so I love asking a lot because, because again, you can tell a lot about a human being then um, we do put them through, uh, you essentially got to do three interviews to be able to even, get an offer here. Um, and it's, so it's not just myself or someone else. There's also, there's usually a couple different people that interview them so they can see the different perspectives. Um, and I know it's a little bit different in, in your world because I mean, I, the, you know, interview, the volume of uh, technicians available is much smaller than my opportunity for employees, but you can teach it to, I mean, you for specifically, especially cause you got, you know, top tech, you can bring in a, a person who has no, uh, skill set at all and start to coach them up but if they're a, a, you know if they're not a decent human being you can't coach that piece of it that part's that part's tough so i believe that if you get somebody who who i love asking the question too of what are their own values i don't share what our core values are until after that question but i like to see you know if i've got two really close candidates which one more kind of closely aligns with our values just as that they've kind of shared with us. And it's interesting because a lot of people that you interview and you ask them what their values are, don't know. They don't have, they don't have answers. It's kind of a weird question to ask because you're like, Oh, what are my values? Well, I'm honest. I like to have fun. Um, like they don't know what to ask, but some people are like dialed in and they're like, Oh, my core values are, you know, I am honest. Um, and I want to grow. I want to be educated. And like, they, and you can kind of from that find we'll do some of those match our so they already kind of match our culture so just some simple questions that you can ask to find out uh, who they are as human beings yeah no i appreciate you sharing those i I don't know that there's any any better advice than good interview questions uh i feel like everybody's always looking for those uh interviews can be definitely awkward or you know (laughs) hey what do i ask next and what should i be hearing and all of that good stuff one of the things you mentioned that I want to dive a little bit into uh, as it relates to leadership is, is you mentioned that you've got mentors. Um, and for me, um, I actually talked about this on the last episode, um, and uh, it, I think it's incredibly important, um, especially as, as you ascend to you know, leading an organization or leading a department or whatever it is, uh, oftentimes people can think that the learning is over. Um, that, hey, I've, I've reached where I want to go. 
I guess in your experience, you've worked with a ton of um, people in our industry that are leaders of just awesome companies. What would you say are, are one or one to uh, you know two characteristics of those people that lead those businesses that you can tell from from your perspective, not necessarily being you know super involved in the business, but working as a partner of that business that you can see are things that that leader exhibits that that really have a, a major impact on their organization. Yeah, I mean, I, I have, thankfully, I have had the opportunity to work with a lot of some of the finest in the industry, which is cool. Um, and I can, there's a couple of, key, I think what you're asking me is there are like a couple of key traits or characteristics of that type of a leader. And um, one is uh, humble. Um, you don't have to know everything. And I think vulnerability is looked at as a negative, and it's actually a complete positive. Because if you constantly, if, first off, if I thought I learned everything I needed to learn and I, my business, I would be scared to death. Like complacency kills growth in my opinion. So I constantly want to be the dumbest guy in the room. But what I love about some good leaders is that the majority of them, and you kind of got to meet, you know, a few of those at Rhino X is um, how humble, amazingly humble they are and willing to um, help. And they ask a lot of questions. Uh, you know, we had Leland, Smith here uh, from Service Champions. And he asked me so many questions that I was like, he's constantly trying to learn. Like it, it doesn't even, he was asking me questions that I don't think had anything to do with his business at all. It was more just about how we are running, you know, Rhino. And uh, so the fact that he's vulnerable enough to just keep asking questions and keep you know, educating himself on just everything, I thought was, you know, was really great. Um, I love that. I ask a lot of questions. So being humble enough to ask, you know, keep, keep asking questions and know that you don't know, you still don't know everything, even though some people seem like they're the smartest guys. Here's another good example. You know, Ken Goodrich has been on the podcast quite a bit from Gettle. Ken is like the king of asking questions. I went to a meeting with him and we went and saw um, uh, Robert Kiyosaki, um, who wrote uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it was Michael E. Gerber, who obviously Ken wrote a book with. He's, they've been in here, but he asked so many questions and is just okay with, you know, because some people feel like they don't, they don't want to sound like they don't know and, and, but they don't know. And they don't want to, they're too afraid to ask the questions. The true leaders I find are vulnerable enough to ask questions and get smarter. They don't care about what the perception is of them. Um, I also think that uh, another good trait is in this, this past year and a half, I think really exposed this is, the willingness to help others uh, is a uh, is a super admirable characteristic that I that I had loved to see this past you know year and a half because everybody's like yeah come to my shop like you hear you hear some people talk about doing R and D Robin duplicate well listen a lot of these guys that run these big companies have been to like a ton of your guys' shops to see well maybe they're doing something better than me and and again, like putting in the time and going and being willing to learn, but they're so helpful. Like so many people are extending, you know, their, their, their time, which I think is the most valuable asset to help others get better. Um, and that's an admirable, admirable trait too. I mean, I know a couple of people's that are in those positions on, they use some of that as almost like a uh, create relationship. So that way you can potentially bring them in as an employee <laughs> But if you treat, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but if you, uh, you know, I love the characteristic of people wanting to um, 
to be able to help everyone because there's something to learn from everybody in some way, shape or form, I think. I mean, it might be small or not, but, um, you know, so those are a couple of things, you know, humble, uh, being humble and being willing to, to help, you know, I think is a, is a really good uh, trait that I've seen in a lot of good leadership. Yeah. And I think that, uh, I think you're a prime example of this. And, and I think you would probably agree that the times that I've learned the most are when I reached out first to help. Uh, and, and ultimately you learn, you learn a ton. Um, it opens up doors. People see that, um, they see that, Hey, you're willing to, you know, donate your time and, and speak and, you know, do whatever it is to just share whatever, whatever you've been through. Hey, I I don't know everything, but this is what I've seen. This is what we screwed up. This is what I feel like we've done pretty well. This is where we're still working to, to get a little better. And, and it's in those times where I've just, you know, developed relationships and, and, uh, been exposed to different situations where at the end of the day, you learn a ton. And, and I think you've mentioned it on the podcast as uh, your podcast is that, you know, you're learning by asking questions in this type of format. Uh, and, and I'm doing much of the same. I've got a whole page of notes here of things <laughs> that you've said that, that I'd like to start doing. So I, uh, I, I appreciate you sharing that. I, I think that that's uh, an extremely admirable thing as well. Um, Thanks, man. It, when a leader is willing to do that. So what, uh, as we kind of near kind of the end here of this podcast, what, what are you doing internally? So one of the things that we're constantly doing, and, and you mentioned top tech of, of growing technicians internally. One of the other things that we're trying to do is ready people for leadership roles. Um, and, and I'm a firm believer that everybody's a leader, but then there's also a step where you're leading others. What, what do you guys do internally or, or what are some of those things that you may be able to share with the audience who's in a position where they'd like to take on one of those leadership roles? What are some of those things that you guys do internally to develop leaders and or things that you've seen from people who have developed in your organization that have set them up for success? Yeah, so I don't know if you guys have ever done this, Chad, but do you guys, have you ever heard of that book, Traction, the EOS operating system? Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, absolutely. So that was one good task you can do with your leadership team that um, that we implemented last year. And it was good because it, you know, it, it was not us answering the, I think you and I have talked about this before too, Chad, is sometimes we have to sit outside of the leadership meetings so people aren't looking to me for the answers and you let the leaders make decisions. And, and I'm a big believer in that of, uh, again, I always say, you know, the core values, if the decision you make on um, whatever it is, is utilizing those values, I'll always back you on it. And even if it's the wrong decision, we'll learn from it and move on. But I'm a big believer in letting leaders lead and also letting them know that if they fail, they, that it's okay. And, and that's the only way you get, you learn. I'm no different. I learned a lot by failing a lot, um, you know, or making wrong decisions. It's not the end of the world, but it's actually super healthy. So, um, but we do these, we have weekly leadership meetings. So right before I was on the, um, on this podcast with you, we have a, we bring all of our leaders in and we have a, a weekly meeting and we basically just kind of hit on, you know, what's the pulse. We, any, any issues with anybody we need to talk about? Um, do you need help with something? Um, and so we, those weekly leadership meetings uh, have been really great. And once you get them comfortable enough to be able to share in front of like myself or, um, Anna or anybody on the executive team that's in that leadership meeting, once they're comfortable, like saying something that I use air quotes, stupid, um, it, they start to grow a lot faster. 
know, because they don't want to, if they don't want to say anything is what to, you know, to run the risk of sounding stupid, you just let them know it's okay to like say something stupid, you know, and it, and like, it's, that's the only way we're going to work through this is that's the only way you're going to learn. And so we just built that culture in our leadership team of a, a fail fast and move on type of methodology um, or be vulnerable enough to ask stupid questions. Um, because the reality is there's not really, I mean, there are some stupid questions, but in that, you know, in that instance, the only way they're going to learn is if they ask them and run the risk of being stupid. So it's not like somebody's like, oh, they make fun of them, you know, unless it's me, like people are okay making fun of me and I'm okay. That's kind of the culture that we have here is I do ask stupid questions sometimes because I'm trying to figure stuff out, but I lead by example. So I'm asking stupid questions. Um, but the weekly leadership meetings are great. We also do two offsite uh, retreats a year and, and it's all, it's basically, um, here's the things that we said we were going to do at the end of last year and how are we measuring to those things? And at the end of the year, it's how did you do with your team and how are your team's performance? Uh, that's another obviously obvious way of um, understanding how they're doing as a leader is based on their team's uh, happiness, uh, client fulfillment and performance at the employee satisfaction. But those weekly leadership meetings are cool. And I know Chad and you and I've talked about this is I love when they bring up a problem that needs to be fixed or an issue, no matter how big or small it is, if you let them solve it uh, and you encourage them to solve it. And then you just ask questions to get them to think through the answer better versus me just taking it and doing it for them. And, uh, but when you do those, those weekly leadership meetings, it starts to build like this cadence and this comfort in them to know like, okay, yeah, I can, like, I feel good about this. I can ask the wrong question, you know, and it's okay. I'm, I need, I got help to figure this thing out. And it's not just coming from us. Like I left for two weeks to go to Peru with my family and this business ran seamless because we've got great leadership in place. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the things that you said that uh, I think we've talked about before is, is I'm a big, big proponent of a lot of the, uh, like every Tuesday afternoon, we have our operational meeting, um, which is uh, basically with all of our leadership team, um, just to kind of go over what happened last week, what this week looks like, so on and so forth. And there's a lot of times that I will mysteriously have a scheduling conflict uh, with that particular meeting that's at the same time every Tuesday and has been for quite some time. Um, weird. Yeah, but, it's weird. Yeah, um, but uh, oftentimes, like you said, it is to allow them, empower them, you put the values in place so they have an operating, something to operate off of, and then let them go at it. And I think that's been the most fun that I've had in, in watching the business grow is, is finding out things that you don't even know how they work. Like, that's one of my favorite things to do. Like, oh, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. Great decision on whoever made that. That's that's fantastic. <laughs> I'm glad we do it like that. Yeah, you feel um, proud. You're like proud of them that they did that. Yeah, exactly. And and it, that is, I think, something that that um, you know, from a leadership perspective, it's very difficult to give up uh, control. Um, and I feel like the one the the businesses that uh, and I talk to a lot of people it is the businesses that are struggling are the ones where the owner cannot give up control. And that's either a personal thing and or they haven't selected the right talent to surround themselves with that they're feel okay to give up the, you know, control uh, to give up those reins. So obviously that's contributed, um, you know, to your guys's growth. You got to delegate, elevate, man. You got to like, you have to give people leaders the opportunity to, to lead. I mean, I don't know how else you would, would like, I, I'm, 
I don't have to have all the answers. I've got a lot of smart people you know, in the room and they've got good answers too. So I think it's just being okay with, yeah, like you said, sometimes you just got to get out of their way. Yep. Yeah. And it's, it's, if you really take a step back, a lot of times I feel like if you take a step back and realize who's in a better position to make this actual decision, well, they're on the front lines, they're experiencing it every single day. And I'm just over here throwing my two cents in basically. Yeah. We, we had this. So I know, you know, this, but I have a partnership with a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk. And, uh, and we were in New York, uh, our, our executive team was in New York meeting with him. And we asked this question on, um, Hey, you know, cause there's a lot of times we go into executive meeting and it can kind of be like a, like a, a head, like it's a battle, you know, cause we all have our agendas and it's a battle to work through. It's a healthy battle, but it's a, uh, um, you know, who's the right person to make those decisions. So we, you know, one thing Gary said is you need a one A and a one B and it's situational. Um, who's in the better position to make this decision, that's your 1A. So in this instance, if it was something that was, you know, on the, you know, billables or if it was somebody on like, who's the right person to make that, who's the 1A, you know, and 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 I had to learn that because um, there's times when I'm trying to make a decision, but it's not my, I'm not the most skilled one to make that decision. So I have to concede. I have to concede to the 1A of that particular situation. I think that's super healthy is to, put the right, it doesn't have to be us, like the owners, it needs to be who's the right person, the right leader, who's more in the day-to-day that can can make that. doesn't mean I can't like disagree with it or challenge it. It's just that you want to make sure that you give the power to those or empower those, you know, in that position to make, you know, give them the chance to make the response. And and more often than not, I think you'll see that it, that works, that works really well. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, man, I cannot thank you enough for uh, taking a little bit of time out of your schedule. I'm sure it's it's been a uh, well. You said it wasn't super hectic because the you you built a company that can run, but Mondays are always hectic coming back from a vacation a little bit. So I appreciate you taking some time uh, with me. If uh, if there's one thing that you'd like to leave the audience with as it relates to as it relates to leadership and maybe something that you've learned that's really impacted how you lead, what would that what would that one thing be as we kind of close out here? I, I said it a couple times in this podcast, and it's the thing that means the, the most to me, and that is um, empathy. Being empathetic, I think, is an act, is an absolute strength, um, and that's that's a, a byproduct of genuinely caring. And, and I say genuinely care, like if you if I believe if you genuinely care about your employees, if you genuinely care about uh, your customers, if they genuinely care about each other, genuinely care about solving the problem. Uh, you can't go wrong. It's got to be, it's got to be the right answer, but you have to, it has to be real. You can't fake the genuinely caring part. So I have, you know, on my wall, I think I can't remember if you saw it in here, Chad says, don't be an a-hole, you know, be authentic. Um, and it's just a, you know, authenticity is a, a, a key trait in a human being, you know, that uh, you know, genuinely care, be real. And I promise you, if you genuinely care, it comes across that way. If you make a mistake, it came from the right place. Like it wasn't like you meant to do something one way or the other. Like you knew where it comes from, but you can't fake it. You can't fake genuinely caring. You can tell when somebody's starting to fake it. So that's the key thing I have is let yourself be vulnerable enough and genuinely care. 
Absolutely. I think that that is a, a great way to kind of cap off our discussion today. And, uh, you know, I, I think we're both in alignment that, you know, caring about people. I, I gave a leadership talk on uh, this past Friday and it was all about, you know, uh, the, the number one thing you're the number one duty you have as a leader and or manager is to show the people that you're leading that you care. Yep. And a lot can be accomplished when we show them that we care, whether that is, you know, a pat on the back, um, you know, helping them out with a problem, understanding, being empathetic to a maybe a personal situation that's affecting their performance at work, whatever it may be. Um, leadership is very simple. When it gets complicated, you know that you're doing it the wrong way. That's um, good. It's all about caring um, and showing those that you lead that it's okay uh, to be vulnerable um, and empower them to make decisions. So again, Chris, uh, really appreciate your perspective and uh, you taking a little bit of time out of your busy schedule to uh, share some of your thoughts on leadership with the listeners. Excited to, uh, to get this episode out there. Um, I know you've got a lot of uh, a big following with your podcast and, and a lot of people in the trades and in around the trades. And uh, hopefully um, with this episode, we, we brought a little bit more awareness to uh, to the care uh, it takes to be a great leader. So Absolutely. again, uh, can't thank you enough. Uh, keep growing out there. Keep learning. Keep working to better yourself and better those around you until next time. That is, you can't stop the growth.